If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. She did. Becca got it. I do appreciate the prayers for my voice, and I'm going to try to do the best I can to uh, be be able to be understood and, and keep from, from coughing. I, I went to the doctor Friday and got a shot, and then I was real smart, and I went to Alabama to Sydney's house and mulched leaves and, and got all the dust going, so I got a little worse. But um, <clears throat> the, the Lord can help to to get through and and preserve my voice long enough this morning to uh, be able to deliver this message. Romans chapter 4, and we're going to read the first eight verses. We won't cover all of that this morning, but I want to read the first eight verses of Romans chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works... He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness." Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So um, a lot in this this short passage of scripture, and like I said, we're not even going to get through verse 8 today, and, and... may not even get uh, through everything that I'm planning to get through. We'll see. Um, we'll just see kind of how it, how it goes as we go through. But before I get into the text, um, just want to give you a little bit of an outline, kind of what, what's going on in this passage in verses 1 through 5. First, in verse 1, Paul is going to bring up an example. So we did talk a lot about justification by faith, that justification is not by works in chapter 3. And now he's bringing up an example of that. So he uses Abraham as an example in verse 1. In verse 2, he covers the negative side of that, that justification is not by works. In verse 3, he gives the positive, that justification is by faith. So he first tells you what it's not, then he says what it is, justification by faith. And then in verses 4 and 5, there's a comparison of works and faith, um, and, and he does that through debt and grace, a comparison of the two, uh, works and faith, uh, and he makes that through the, the examples of debt and grace. So really the introduction to the message this morning, I'm going to cover verse 1, um, really not, not one of the major points, but uh, I do want to cover verse 1 because this is uh, important. Paul is now kind of putting flesh and blood to uh, this concept of justification by faith that he's been covering in chapter 3. So <clears throat> give kind of three reasons here why he's using Abraham as an example. And the first one is is that Abraham uh, would show that this truth of righteousness by grace through faith, and, and especially since Abraham was an Old Testament uh, 
character. In other words, by using Abraham, Paul is saying this is nothing new. This is not a new doctrine. Paul is talking to people who um, that would have been concerning to. So he, he goes to the scriptures and he uses Abraham as an example to say that this is not a new doctrine. Abraham was not saved in a different way than Paul was saved or that even us today, uh, even now so many years removed, uh, that we're saved. So <clears throat> Abraham even preceded the identity of the nation of Israel. He was in that very early period, a very primitive time, and, and we find his story in the book of Genesis. And so Paul's going to go back to that to establish that if, if a man in the book of Genesis was saved by grace through faith and not of works, then this is not a new doctrine that he is teaching uh, here in the book of Romans. Secondly, he uses Abraham because Abraham is such a good example of faith. Now, that's one of the main things that we know about Abraham. When he's mentioned in the Bible, and he is mentioned in the Bible a lot, even in the New Testament, we hear about his faith. Uh, and and, and that's, that is very important. Um, he's called in the book of Galatians, the father of all who believe. And in a very real sense, all to, who come to God by faith are children of Abraham in a spiritual sense. Now, the interesting part is that in this day, when, when Paul is teaching this to the Jews, they were actually teaching this in a different way. They were teaching in a way that, that Abraham was justified by works, that God saw Abraham as a righteous man, and that because of that, that was imputed to his, his case in God. God accepted that. That's, it's kind of hard for us to even hear that or, or understand that, but um, it's, it's, it was what they were teaching at the time. If you read some of the Jewish history uh, from, there's actually, a, there's one especially about, it was written about two years uh, before uh, Christ came, uh, that, and so it'd be 2 BC, that, that really kind of points out this view that he was a good man. He was a, a righteous man who, on his own terms uh, before God, God chose him because of his righteousness. But uh, we know that the Bible doesn't teach that, and we're going to show that as we go through. So Paul selects Abraham in order to kind of destroy that and wipe out this Jewish illusion and establish the truth that Abraham is not an example of a righteous man whom God chose, but he's an example of an unrighteous man whom God chose and justified. And so we're going to we're going to see that as we go through. Now, um, of course, it's very important uh, to the Jews. Abraham, you know, they like to claim Abraham as their father. So I think that's one of the reasons why as well uh, that he, he chose to use Abraham as an example. And then thirdly, just the plain and simple thing that sometimes it helps when you're teaching a concept to put flesh and blood to it. I think that's really important to say, okay, here's the concept. Now here's an example of the concept. So I think that's the other reason he begins to do that. And he's also going to use David, as we read, uh, as another example. So he went to these two big patriarchal characters um, among the Jews for his examples in justification by faith. Now, as we jump into the actual outline for the message today, and as I said, we may not get through all three of these today, and, and I hope we do. And it may be because we run out of time, or it may be because I run out of voice, but um, we're going to try to get through three things today. The first one is justification by works in verse 2. And the key question in that is who gets the glory? 
So Paul's going to kind of take it in a different direction. He's already said plenty about that, about justification by works in chapter 3, but now there's kind of a new key question there. Who gets the glory? And the second thing we'll look at is justification by faith in verse 3. And the key question there is, is very simple. How was Abraham justified? So if we're going to say he was not justified by works, then how is it that Abraham was just, justified before God? And then the third point would be justification earned or of grace. He, he takes this and uh, kind of applies it uh, in verses 4 and 5. So justification earned or of grace and the key question in that, is God obligated to reward us due to works? Is God obligated to reward us due to works? And I think most people in here already know the, question, the answers to all of those questions. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to see how that, um, that Paul unpacks it here in our text. So jumping into our text now, in verse 2, Paul said, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory but not before God. So remember our key question, who gets the glory? In verse 2, I think we can see the answer to that right off. If he were justified by works, that is, by those things which he did by his natural unaided power. So in other words, if Abraham was able to do good works and be righteous in and of himself, then the answer to that question would be he would have a right to boast about about that before I mean before anybody um, so I think the answer to the question is when he says for if for if Abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory if you just stop there now that the the interesting part of that there's one key word in that statement right if <laughs> if he were able to be justified by works if Abraham were justified by works he hath whereof to glory but then Paul adds that very important phrase on the end of that verse, but not before God. So I, I think just to kind of zoom out and look at that whole verse, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, okay, the hypothetical is if Abraham were able to justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. But there's a problem with that. Even from our perspective, if we saw Abraham as someone who uh, was a very faithful person and, and did a lot of good works, in God's eyes, that would still not be true. <laughs> even, even the things that we can't see, but not before God. So that's Paul's way of saying it's just not so. He can't open his mouth before God and say anything that would justify himself apart from the work of God in his life. Uh, from God's viewpoint, he had no right to boast. He had no basis for pride, uh, none at all. And, and Paul's going to prove that really in the rest of this chapter that he was not justified by works. You see, men are never able to be made right with God by what we do or we accomplish on our own. There is nothing that you can do apart from the grace of God in your life. So, and this, this kind of affects our religious sensibilities, doesn't it? <laughs> this is the problem. <clears throat> and this is what I mean by our religious sensibilities. As much as we understand that salvation is by grace, and as much as I think everybody in this room really understands that we're not justified by works, it is still hard for us because of our human nature for that really to really, really sink in in our life. We still have this concept that, well, I've got to go to church, I've got to pray, I've got to do good works, I've got to help others, um, I'm, I'm going to be baptized, I'm going to read my Bible, 
I'm going to go to communion. I'm going to go through all the religious exercises. And because of me doing all of those things, then I'm going to get to go to heaven. Even if we know better than that, I think there's just a natural uh, that we slide right back into thinking that we can do these good things to earn the favor of God. And, and that's never going to be true. Because even if we're doing those things, unless it's from a heart of faith and unless it's uh, someone who's been touched by grace and is doing those things through the Spirit, uh, then none of those things, all those things are meaningless uh, before God. So uh, Abraham had no right to boast before God because salvation is designed to give glory to God and not glory to man. I mean, really, if you want to sum up the whole day's message, I just, I just really did it in that statement. Salvation is designed to give glory to God, not give glory to man. And so therefore you see the difference in justification by works and justification by faith. So Abraham had nothing about which he could boast. And, and what Paul is doing here, if you've ever studied debate or logic or would be interested in anything like that, what, what Paul really is doing here is called a syllogism. It's a hypothetical uh, syllogism and it has a major premise, a minor premise, and a conclusion. So he's going to bring up something big. He's going to say something about it. And then there's going to be a conclusion to the statement. So the major premise is that if a man is justified by works, he has ground for boasting. That's his major premise. If a man is justified by works, he has a ground for boasting. The minor premise is Abraham was justified by works. And the conclusion is... Therefore, Abraham has a right uh, to boast, but not before God. So if the conclusion isn't true, then you have to back up and say something's wrong. Okay, so, so the whole thing has to be true, or the whole thing is false. Um, that, that's the concept. So the major premise, if, if a man is justified by works, he has a ground for boasting. Is that true? Well, I've kind of already given that away. Yes, that would be true. If you could be justified by your own works, then you would have something that you could say that you did in order to be saved. I think that's so important for us to understand, especially, you know, the majority of churches in this country probably still, it's actually changing a whole lot, which I think is very good, but still probably the majority of churches in this area and, and in our country, they would say that, uh, that you have to believe, that you, there's something that you have to do to be saved. Now, they don't claim to believe in justification by works, but there's this thing that you have to do on your own, that God does all that he can, he gets it to a certain point, and you have to finish it off. Well, the question to ask yourself is then, if that is true, then do you have something to boast of? When you get to heaven, would you be able to say, well, I'm really glad that I believed. I'm really glad that I pushed it that last inch because if I didn't, I'd, I'd be in hell. Then you would have something to boast of. So the major premise is true. The problem is the minor premise is false. Abraham was not justified by works. That's not true. So then we see that uh, the whole thing becomes false. Abraham was not justified by works before God. For if he was, he would have a reason to boast. And, and as we said... God is a jealous God. He's not going to give his glory to another. So uh, if he gained righteousness with God because of his own human effort, then he could be glorified, not God. Uh, but if you're, you're not going to get away with that before God. So Abraham was justified by works. If he was, he could boast, but not from God's viewpoint. He was not made right with God by his works. You can't do anything of your own effort to gain acceptance with God. 
And, and like I said, we, we really fall back into that mindset in a practical way um, very many times. But in chapter 3, he said it this way. Let's go back uh, in chapter 3 in verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then in verse 27, he says, Where is boasting then is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So he's, this is something that he's already covered. Now he's saying, let me show you this in a practical way through Abraham. Uh, if, if, we, if we are justified by our works, then that means we're justified by the law. And he says that that's not possible and, and the way that boasting is excluded is because justification is by faith and not by works. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3. We'll see this in a, a different passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. <clears throat> Paul says, For we are the circumcision which worship, worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So he says, when he says, for we are the circumcision, he's saying we are marked in a certain way as the people of God. Uh, we are the children of God. We are the circumcision. And he says that that mark is, it's really interesting, for we are the circumcisions which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And what's that last thing? And have no confidence in the flesh. So that's an identifying mark of those who are set apart to God that are his people as they have no confidence in the flesh. So if you're going to start comparing uh, your works against what God requires, you're going to come up short. And so Paul uses himself as the example in a really interesting way. He kind of sounds like he's trying to build a resume <laughs> and then he just kind of throws it in the garbage at the end. It's really interesting. So he says in verse 4, Though I might ha also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. So this is what Paul's saying. He says, look, if you want to be confident in what you have accomplished and your resume before God, probably I've got one of the better ones. It's really what Paul's saying. It's kind of a really amazing argument that he makes. He says, listen to all these good things that I have. Circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. So he gives this really big resume, and it, and it is very impressive. Um, he's right. I, I, I couldn't give that good of a resume. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean the Apostle Paul... Uh, it was, he was an amazing man, very intelligent. Um, I mean, look at how much of the New Testament that we have that was written by Paul. So Paul could say, you know, God trusted me to write all of these letters. And all of these, these letters that God inspired me to write um, are, are part of he could He could, you know, put his resume out there. And he says all of these things, and he gets to the very end, and he says, 
But really, all of those things are nothing. And I love the way John MacArthur says this. He said, all of those things that I just said are a big pile of manure. That's what it is. Uh, so if I bring that into the throne room of God as my justification, you know, how do you think that's going to go? The, the, well, look, God says, okay, what do you have to bring before me that you might be declared righteous? Well, I have a big, gigantic pile of manure. You know, that, that's really what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. And it really makes the point really well that all of my human effort apart from grace is nothing but dung before God. I have to um, get away from that. I have to push that away from my mind. And Paul says, Yea, doubtless I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count that as nothing. So it's amazing. You see, the issue really is in verse 9. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. I mean, here, here we have it again, just stated as plain as it can be. How can you be righteous before God? God does that through faith. It's not by your own works. It's because of the righteousness of Christ that you then are, are tied to and receive through faith. Now, we're getting, we're getting ahead. We're going to have to slow down. It's hard not to. Uh, so Paul talks about justification by faith constantly. Philippians, Galatians, Romans, because it's so very important. So what has Abraham in Romans 4? What does he have? Well, Abraham would have nothing more than Paul would have. When Paul said, here's my resume, if, if Abraham were to give his resume, which we have that resume in the scriptures, right? In, in Hebrews 11, we could go there and read about Abraham, how he was a man of faith. He could lay that resume out. These are the things. But apart from grace and apart from God's work in his life, he would have absolutely nothing to bring. Abraham would have no works that would justify him in the presence of a holy God. So, so what did Abraham gain? The answer is nothing, not, not before God. So I think that's, it's also right here to, to remind us of what the standard is. So for us to be justified by works, what would the standard be? Well, what does God say? What is God's command? Be ye holy as I am holy. That's a high standard. So your resume wouldn't have to just be a few things that outweighed the bad. You, can, you can't have a column of that. You can't have any sin, or yet you, you cannot be justified before God. So there is no one with that kind of righteousness that can bring that by the law or by works. So that's the first part, that Abraham is, is not justified by works. He says not before God. Now, the second part is justification by faith. So if that's not how we're justified, then how are we justified before a holy God? We said our key question on, on number two, justification by faith from verse three, is how was Abraham justified? So if we take the negative, now we need to look at the positive. What is it? For He's going to give us the answer to that question. For what saith the scripture? I think that's really important too, the scripture. Where do you go to get your answers? If you want to know the answer to a problem, where do you go to get it? Paul says, you know, we're looking at this, this hypothetical question of justification by works, and, and we went to Scripture to show that. 
But then he just states very plainly, for what saith the Scripture? He, how, how was Abraham justified? Well, let's look at the Scripture and see what the Scripture says. That's Paul's answer is to go to the Scriptures, and we would do right to do the same. So what he quotes from is Genesis 15 and chapter 6. Uh, did I say chapter 6? <laughs> Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Or Abraham believed God, and it was put to his account for righteousness. So all the way back in Genesis, we have an answer to that question. How is Abraham justified? He believed God, and it was put to his account for righteousness. Now, right from the beginning, I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You know this text very well. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So even as we start, let's go ahead and establish the fact that when we say justification is by faith and that it was Abraham's faith that was then um, put to his account for righteousness, that's not a work that Abraham did. The scriptures are very clear about that. So we're going to go into that in a little more detail, but I just want to get that out of the way from the very beginning. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by faith. So God sovereignly chose Abraham. That's the elective purpose of God. And he drew him and called him to faith, to believing. So that's also God's work. And that's the basic doctrine of, of salvation, of how a man can be right with God. God chooses him. God make, uh, pays the price for his sin. Christ came and he actually paid the price for your sin. He also, uh, in his life, he, he was actively and passively obedient. And so we have an obedience. We have a righteousness that can be imputed to our account. And then he applies that to us through faith. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is involved in salvation. So how can sin be forgiven and how can we receive entrance into heaven? How can we be part of God's kingdom? Well, it's not by works. It's by receiving the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, put to my account. Or in this case, in his example, to Abraham's account. So that's what we mean by justification by faith. It's a technical term, and, and we kind of mentioned this last time. It's, it's a legal term. It refers to a legal status that we have been declared to be just. So are we really and truly just apart from the grace of God? Well, the answer to that question is no. And the Bible tells us that plainly. God justifieth in verse 5 where he talks um, farther down. He says, uh, to him that justifieth the ungodly. So in reality, apart from the grace of God in my life and apart from an imputed righteousness, there's no way that I can be declared just, not by my own works. Uh, but there's a lot of talk about justification by faith and, and all the ins and outs of it, and, and we're not going to get too mired down in that today, but I do want you to kind of understand some of those discussions and, and why they're had and, and what the issues are with justification by faith. So remember, it's a technical term. It, it refers to a legal status that we have been declared to be just. Justification is different also, I want to say this from the beginning, than sanctification. 
So sanctification is a process that starts in us when the Holy Spirit gives you life, and that will continue on through the end of your life. That is you being conformed to the image of Christ. It's not, it doesn't happen at one time. It happens over a long period of time. Justification is not that. It's, it's in a moment. You are declared righteous before God. So those two things are also different. That can be easy to confuse. So people say, well, if you're saved by faith, then faith is a work, so salvation is by works. Um, so they say, if you believe this, then you're saying that salvation is by works. This, I'm going to be honest with you, and I think I said this before from this pulpit. It really blows my mind that people would, would really kind of fall into that. I mean, I've heard some preachers that just really shocked me that said, well, I don't, I don't believe that about justification by faith because if that's true, we have a part in our salvation. Well, when did you start believing that faith was a work? Because we've never believed that. I've never believed that faith is a work. I don't believe that of my own power I can believe in God. That, that, that goes against the doctrine of immediate regeneration that says that we must be born again. God must act first. Regeneration precedes faith. God produces in us the principle of faith that then we respond to in the gospel, in conversion. So I don't really understand that, but that's actually very unbiblical. The Bible says you can't be saved by works. You're saved by faith. So faith cannot naturally be a work. So that's, that's one issue that comes up with justification. Another one would be, and this is probably one of the bigger ones, people disagree about exactly when were we justified. So were we justified in eternity before time began when God declared um, that he was going to redeem a people. He chose a people and he uh, decided to redeem them uh, when Christ, uh, or, or is it when Christ redeemed his people on the cross or at the resurrection? The Bible does talk about that we're justified uh, by, the by his resurrection. Or is it when we are brought to faith in Christ in time? So that's, that's a big question. A lot of people have a different opinions about it. Um, I kind of let the cat out of the bag the last time on this one. I stand with our forefathers in the 1689 London Confession of Faith, uh, and, and this is what they said about it. But before I say that, I, I failed to mention this last time, and I don't think I have to do this here, but especially since we record these messages, I think it's important to mention. It's okay to quote a confession from the pulpit. Did you know that? That's okay. Because we all understand in here that that confession is not the Bible. So I'm not quoting you a scripture. Um, it has no authority other than where it agrees with the Bible. But it is very helpful for us to understand sometimes where did our forefathers stand on things. So that's really, if you ever hear me quote from a confession or say this is what they believed, that's the purpose. Um, I mentioned to show that kind of the same thing Paul was doing. Paul, he mentioned an Old Testament character and he went back to the Old Testament to show, hey, this is not anything new. Well, I'm going to copy that. I'm going to say, Paul, <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to kind of use the same tactic that Paul used and tell you this is not a new belief or a new doctrine or a new understanding of this doctrine. So the confessions are not inspired, and our only rule of faith and practice is the scriptures, but I do think these confessions can be very helpful. So this was first written in the 1689 London Confession of Faith. It was then brought over to our country in the Philadelphia Confession of Faith in 1742, not changed at all. And then in the Fulton Confession of Faith, that was actually Primitive Baptists that met, and they looked at this, and there's really nothing in the footnotes at all about the section that I'm going to read you. So evidently, they agreed with this at the time, or they didn't say anything about it. So the London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 11, section 4 says, 
God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit doth in time do actually apply Christ unto them. So that's my belief. I believe that when Christ died, that's the meritorious cause of our justification. So Christ had to pay for the sins of his people. That, that is what merits our salvation. But we're not actually justified until that is applied to our account. And I'll try to explain that. So, <clears throat> and I'll do it by kind of the same tactics again that Paul used. I'll use the negative and the positive. So... <clears throat> There was a minister that, and I'm going to tell you, I really respect this man very much. I think he's very well studied, and he was preaching on this topic, and it was several years ago. I say several. It's more than that, probably 15, 20 years ago. And I was listening to his message, <clears throat> and as he was preaching about it, I felt like I didn't agree. But then he used this example, and, and that just clarified it for me that I didn't agree with him. This is how he said that he believes in justification. He said, there's a rich man. And he decides to give another person a million dollars. Tax-free, just give him a million dollars. First, he makes the determination to do that. So there's a choice. I'm going to give somebody a million dollars. Then he chooses a recipient. He says, I'm going to, this is who I'm going to give it to. Then he goes about to set that money aside to get it from his accounts. And he prepares a cashier's check in the amount of one million dollars. And he puts their name on that check. He then walks up to the person and hands them the check. And he said, even before you actually receive the check, see, the money's already in your name. So you were already justified even before you received that check. Well, now, I'm just going to ask you a question. If, if somebody wrote you a million-dollar check and they never gave it to you and the money never ended up in your account, do you have the money? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just kind of a logical thing to me that... Until I actually have it, until it's in my account, remember those words, until it's in my account, the money's not mine. Now, it might be as good as done because he's taken all those steps, he's prepared it, he's put my name on it, but until I actually possess it, until it comes into my account, even when he hands me the check, I would argue, what, what if I lose the check? What if, you know, all those things could happen in the example? It's really not mine until it's credited to my account. Have you ever received a big check from somebody or from something? You're kind of nervous until you get that thing in the bank, right? Or, you know, you're carrying around a lot of money and you want to get it in your account. You want to get it in there so that it's yours. Well, it might have on my name on it, but I can't spend it. It's not legally mine until it's placed in my account. A check is just a promise of transferring money from one account to another, right? That's what a check is. It says this money's going to go from this person's account to this person's account. So his point was that from the time the man determined to give the money, it was as good as done, and the money already existed. And so it's the question I had was it's not in my account yet. It's not legally mine until I possess it. <clears throat> so he would say that justification really happened in eternity, and that's not an unpopular thing. John Gill, who you hear us quote a lot out of this, out of, uh, this pulpit, who is a very learned man, and um, I would never want to tangle with uh, in a lot of ways, he believed in, in that concept as well. 
But I think the key is really in the word counted in verse 3. So let's go back to our text here in Romans 4. For what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Counted is a very important word in this passage. Now it's the word um, lagidzomai, lagidzomai. That's the Greek word. It's used 11 times in this passage of scripture, in this section of Romans. So quite a bit that that particular word is used. Um, and in the Thayer's Greek lexicon, this is, the, this is the definition. To reckon, count, compute, or calculate. And then very specifically for Romans 4.3, the definition is this. To take into account or to make account of. So when it's actually applied to an account. And what it's saying is that through faith, God imputed, he applied to the account a righteousness which Abraham did uh, on his own did not possess. That's a legal act. So Abraham did not have righteousness, but God imputed, he accounted to him a righteousness. It's like uh, someone who has nothing and the world's richest person puts a fortune in their bank account it now belongs to them it is theirs it's credited uh, we are credited with a righteousness that we do not have and that happens through faith uh, so back to the language of the confession god did from all eternity decree to justify all the leg that's very important it's very important uh, that that's it's not that we're saying that's not important Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. I, I, I'm really uh, glad that they included that and rise again for their justification because Christ paid our penalty for sin on the cross and the reason we know that was accepted is because he rose again. That's saying that God accepted that so we're justified by his resurrection. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit doth in time actually apply that or Back to our word, it's counted unto us. It's put into our account would be another way of saying it. So what a beautiful picture of the Trinity and salvation. Now just to clarify a few things. I think it's really important to clarify. Faith is not the basis of justification or the meritorious cause. So when we say justification is by faith, we're not saying that we are justified on the basis of our faith, Right? That's, that's not the case at all. Um, it, is, it is the channel by which justification is received. So faith is not what I do to earn my salvation because, number one, it's not a work, uh, but uh, we are not saved because of our faith, and we are not saved by the reason or the value or the worth of our faith. God does not justify the believing person because of the worthiness of their faith, but because of the worthiness of of the one that their faith is in. That's extremely important, okay? So what, what happens in faith is we are connected to Christ, and it is Christ that is the meritorious cause of our justification. So it's not us. It's that we believe in Christ. We trust in Christ. We are brought to faith in Christ, which unites us with Christ. There is then union with Christ, who is, Christ is the meritorious cause of our justification because he paid for our sin and we have his righteousness, which was earned through his active and passive obedience to God. In Acts 13, 39, uh, it says, Be it known to you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. 
By him all that believe are justified, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So same concept there. We're justified through Christ. It is not our, our faith that is the meritorious cause of that. Now, I'm not sure where I got this quote. I was wanting to give whoever this was that wrote this credit. So I'm just telling you it's not my words, uh, but I'm not sure who said it. But I, I think it's a great summation of this. It's, he said this. The great thing for us to realize is that our faith does not constitute our righteousness. God does not look at me and say that because I believe, he will count that as righteousness, not at all. What he says is this, I will give to you the righteousness of my son who kept the law perfectly for you and who died for your sins. He is absolutely righteous before the law and he has represented you before the law. He has fulfilled every iota, and therefore I will give you his righteousness. He then calls me and draws me to believe in him. And he has given me, by the gift of faith, the power to believe, so that I look to Christ, not to myself, not to my faith, not to my righteousness. It is entirely all of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has made him wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So I do not lean on anything in myself, not even on my faith. My faith makes me lean entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pause there. There's a little more. That's a really important point. So he says, even though justification is by faith, that doesn't cause us to lean on our faith. It, the faith causes us to look to Christ. It is Christ on whom we lean. My faith makes me lean entirely on on the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that God has imputed his righteousness to me I know that all is well between myself and God I believe his declaration that's important so what is the declaration that he's talking about there it's this act of justification that we've been declared to to be righteous our faith is what holds on to that and accepts it and says I believe God's declaration that I'm righteous he hath put to my account the perfect spotless seamless robe of righteousness of his dear son that is the biblical and and true doctrine of justification by faith i thought that was a great summary of that whole concept all put into one paragraph some other men through history have have said a lot about it author pink says this it is called the righteousness of god because he is the appointer approver and imputer of that righteousness it is called the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ because he, it is he that wrought it out and presented it unto God. It is called the righteousness of faith because faith is the apprehender and receiver of it. It is called righteousness of man because it was paid for him and imputed to him. And all of these varied expressions refer to so many aspects of that one perfect obedience unto death which the Savior performed for his people so once again pink is just saying all of this that is true is because faith then ties us to the person and work of jesus christ that's really what the doctrine of, of justification by faith is really all about salvation by grace through faith and because of that god gets all the glory you remember in, in the first part justification by works we said that can't be true or man would be able to boast well now let's ask that same question about justification by faith is there anything that we've talked about in this, in this verse 3 that would give man any reason at all to glory? None at all. 
All the glory then goes to God. And so that makes it good theology. Now our last, and we'll close with this, very quickly, I won't, I won't go into this very much, we may have to come back to it later, but in verses 4 and 5, justification earned or of grace. He says, Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. <coughs> There's that same word again, counted, uh, that we encountered before in verse 3. So the key question I said for this is, is God obligated to reward us due to our works? So really, Paul's kind of going back and saying, in this hypothetical discussion of is, is justification by works or is justification by faith, if it was on work, now to him that worketh, the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. So he brings in this word debt. So what does that mean? Well, it summarizes kind of what we've been saying, but just says it in a different way. The faith of, Am of Abraham was a saving faith. It was the genuine kind of faith. He entrusted his life to the, to the Lord and in hope of eternal life. That's genuine faith. He was uh, committed to that, and that was the work of God in his life. So when we talk about that, it's either grace of works. It can't be one or the other. So if you go to your boss, you work all week long. We all have a lot of different jobs in here, but most of the people in here work in one way or another or have in your life. So you go and you work for a week or however you get paid. Let's say you work for the whole month. Do you go to your boss at the end of that time period and say, hey, I've put in my full time. Please be gracious to me and pay me. Is that what you say? Not at all. You say, you owe me my money. I did the work. So you have a debt that you have to pay now because I did the work and you owe me to pay me this amount. So that's really what Paul's saying. If it's of works, then that would make God a debtor, right? I mean, that's, that's just a natural thing. If, if justification was by works and we perform works, then God would be in debt to us. Well, of course, that cannot be. Um, God is not uh, in debt to man and he is never in debt to man. There's no way we can earn any saving wages from God. God owes you absolutely nothing, and that is abundantly clear in Scripture. Did you know that? God owes us nothing. Uh, we, we have not earned anything that we receive from the Lord. We can't claim that, and that's really what Paul is saying. If you worked for the reward, then it would not be reckoned of grace but of debt. But we know the scriptures teach very plainly that salvation is by grace. And it cannot be both. Um, that's, that's the issue. And so, you know, going back to what I said before, and, and you know, this is not me trying to attack um, Arminians and those who believe that, you know, in the free will of man, but, but the scripture is the scripture. So if you believe that you accomplish anything in and of yourself, then grace ceases to be grace and it becomes works. And then God is in debt. God must, must respond to the work that you have done. And that makes him a debtor. Because the intended purpose, you see, all, of all men and of all creation and everything that is, the intended purpose of all this is for what? What did we say at the beginning? I told you you could summarize the whole message this way. The sum, summation of all this stuff and all that we're saying is, is that 
in everything that God does, why does he do everything that he does, including salvation and including very specifically justification? Why does God do justification the way that he does? What's the answer to that question? Well, the answer to that question is for his glory, right? The little children can learn that. <laughs> right in the catechism, you all remember them going through the catechism? That's a, that's a profound truth, and it applies in this situation. So in everything that God does, he does it for his own glory. He will not give his glory to another, even in justification. So that is the intended of all, purpose of all this is to give glory to God. And if men were redeemed by works, it would violate that intended purpose of all the universe and of all that God does. All things are by him and for him. And so there is no wage paid to men else he steal the glory of God. I love that quote. There is no wage paid to man, else he would steal the glory of God. So I know that's a lot, um, in, in, but just as I said before, this is going to continue to unfold and unpack as we go through the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5. So um, uh, we'll have to stay tuned and, and see uh, where Paul takes this argument next. But justification is by faith, not of works. And because of that, we can have assurance of salvation. Uh, and we can have assurance of salvation. Hope those things have been a blessing to you this morning.